0: Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, today we'll be looking at verses 16 to 25, Acts chapter 16, and if you guys don't have a Bible actually in the seat right in front of you, there should be a Bible tucked in there, you can grab that church Bible. Acts chapter 16, if we have not had a chance to meet, my name is Kenson. I serve as the pastor of our Bridgeport Church, really grateful to be with you all this evening and have a chance to open up God's word. I also love just what Pastor Rave said about, you know, how to to look at date nights and to be able to see that as a time to actually be in God's word. And married couples, I'm sure you know this as well too, that have you heard about the marriage triangle, right, that the closer you come to God, the closer you guys will draw to each other. So once again, I just can't encourage enough just for you to make time like that because I know that as married folks, it's just very difficult to find that kind of margin. So make time for that, uh, to go to that. I'm really excited for the academy and helping to teach a few classes there as well. So Acts 16, verses 16 to 25, let me go ahead and read our verses and then we're gonna jump in, all right? Starting at verse 16, it says this. As we, so this is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, the missionary team. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in an inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And if I can also just read verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and their prisoners were listening to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, a movie came out called Hacksaw Ridge. It was based off the true story of Private Desmond Doss, who was part of one of the bloodliest battles in World War II. If I can just show you a picture of this soldier here. Because of his faith, he refused to carry a rifle and only had with him a Bible to protect him. The battle took place in April of 1945 on top of a sheer 400-foot cliff that was fortified by Japanese machine guns and booby traps, and this cliff was called Hacksaw Ridge for just how steep the cliff was. Well, Desmond Doss's battalion was overcome, and they were ordered to retreat from the, from the battle. But Desmond refused to leave his fallen comrades behind. So facing heavy machine gun fire, he ran alone into the kill zone to carry back wounded soldiers to the cliff and single-handedly, single-handedly lowered them down one by one. And as he kept running back to save another man's life, he would cry out in prayer, Lord, please give me. One more. Lord, please give me one more. By the end of that night, he saved the lives of 75 men. Friends, what are you willing to do to save others? You know, today we continue in our sermon series in the book of Acts, which is about a story of an extraordinary God using ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. And today in chapter 16, we see the gospel making its first steps into Macedonia, present-day Europe. And what happens is that Paul and his team, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, share the gospel with others, and people are coming to saving faith in Christ. So in chapter 16, Paul is in Philippi, and we have three stories— Back-to-back-to-back conversions. We have Lydia, a slave girl, and a jailer. Now, we know that there were more, way more than three converts to Christianity during this time because the church was planted in Philippi. But the author, Luke, only chooses to highlight three stories. Why? It's to illustrate the power of the gospel. That with these three people, we have people on different spectrums of life and society. You have upper class, middle class, lower class, Asian, Greek, Roman, social insider, social outsider, someone in the middle. You had a woman, a kid, and a man. All three very different people, yet they all shared the same need. They needed to experience deliverance through Jesus Christ. Now, last week, We saw the story of Lydia, and this was a person who was in a deep search for God, and Paul conveniently shows up and tells her, the God that you're seeking, the God that you're praying to, is Jesus Christ. And God opens up her heart, and she experiences saving faith, her whole household is baptized, and she makes her home a ministry center. She was a woman with incredible affluence and wealth. Lydia's heart was so hungry for God and for salvation, Today's story is very, very different. This slave girl did not seek God. Instead, she was under the control of a demonic power. She was trafficked and exploited. And unlike Lydia, she would not bankroll the ministry of the church. She had nothing, nothing at all. In order to reach this slave girl, Paul and Silas would have to pay an incredible cost. They would be racially profiled, slandered against, beaten and thrown in jail. In order for this slave girl to be freed from her chains, Paul had to put on chains. What are you willing to do to see others be free? You know, so often, you know, when it comes to this, and this, and this is true of my own heart, is that when it comes to sharing Jesus, we're looking for the path of least resistance, That I don't want to find the lost, I want the lost to find me. That I want to pass off the work of evangelism to more gifted people, to more spiritually eager people to do it. That I don't like being uncomfortable, I don't like being stressed out. So instead of crying out to God every day, Lord, help me to save one more, I pray, we pray, Lord, give me one more dollar. Give me one more toy. Give me one more relationship. Give me one more job. Give me one more parking, parking spot in the city. Just give me one more, God, right now. I'm late for a meeting, right? Why? It's because we're so busy building our kingdom and not God's kingdom. We will never lay down our lives for others. We will never take on the chains of love when we are making ourselves the center of the universe. You know, to unpack our verses today, this is how we're going to see how the gospel has the power to break chains. And here are the three questions we're going to try to answer here. The first question is this, what are the chains that enslave us? What are the chains that enslave us? Second question, who has the power to break these chains? And finally, what are the chains we joyfully put on, okay? So first, what are the chains that enslave us? Second, who has the power to break these chains? And then thirdly, what are the chains that we joyfully put on? So first, what are the chains that bind us? Now, to understand this, we need to see what's happening to this slave girl. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling, So what we know in chapter 16 is that Lydia is saved. And when this happens, you have to imagine that for Paul and his team, this must have felt great. What an awesome start to the gospel movement. What an awesome start for the mission of God. But guess who needs to put a stop to this? Satan. Now, Satan is not omnipresent, but he is fast. He is very fast. And what happens here is that in verse 16, Paul and his team are making their way back, back to the river, back to this place of prayer where they met Lydia, but now as they go back, they are now greeted by this slave girl. And what we know from our verse is that first off, it calls her a girl, which means that we know that she was young. She was probably 10 to 14 years old. And we also know that she had a spirit of divination. Now, in the Greek, it literally says that she had the spirit of a python, a snake here. Now, the reason for this is because of Greek mythology. It was told that at the place of Pytho, Apollo, the third son of Jupiter, fought the dragon that was guarding the oracles of Delphi. And when Apollo killed this dragon, killed this snake, the power of the dragon came upon him, giving Apollo the power to receive oracles and to predict the future. So when it says here that this slave girl has the spirit of Python, it's to say that she has the spirit of Apollo, and it made her a fortune teller. And she was very, very good at it because it says here that she made her owners a lot of money. If she was bad, she would not be making anyone any money. We also see here that she had owners, not a owner. This tells us that she was a massive business enterprise requiring a lot of investors. In addition, to say that someone had the spirit of Python back in that cultural time was also to describe a class of people that were very troubled. That these were people who were clearly, not surprisingly, not of their right mind They acted bizarrely, spoke wildly. They cried out and shrieked. Now, if we saw someone like this in our streets today, we we would immediately say, you know, this person is mentally unwell. They're, They're mentally ill. Except for the fact that this little girl could make predictions and know things that she should not know. For example, we see this with her encounter with Paul. Verse 17. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. Now, Paul and his team, they're right now at a brand new place. No one else would have known what Christianity was. They were the first missionaries. Yet, this girl knew exactly who they were and what they were doing. How? It's because she was demon-possessed. Also notice that what she is saying is not wrong in verse 17. It is truth. Whoa, 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 whoa. Kenson, are you saying that Satan speaks truth all the time? All the time. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he appears as an angel of light that Satan will look like an angel, talk like an angel, perform powers like an angel, and he does so so that he can say anything that he wants to hook you in. This is why cults and false teachers are so dangerous, because eight out of ten times, what they say is true, but it's those other two times that they use to entrap us. Satan is not stupid. He's not going to go around announcing himself and his evil intentions. He is the master deceiver that when he wants to attack and destroy the church, it's not going to be an all-out frontal attack. He attacks through infiltration. That he'll find a way to get into the life of the church, to spread false doctrine and discord. That he'll he'll look like a sheep, but he'll be a wolf on the inside. He'll be looking the whole time just like us. And this is what makes this little girl so dangerous. Because here she is going with Paul and his missionary team, announcing to everybody, look at the team, they're here, they're here to do the work of God. Now, she's going to do this for as long as they're there, but what happens once Paul and his team move on to the next city? What happens now when the church in Philippi begins to get on its feet and people begin to ask, who are people that we should look to, to grow in our faith, to learn more about Christianity? Guess who they're going to look at? They're going to look at this little slave girl. This is what she's doing is so dangerous. We have to remember this. When, what Satan does is that he is a master counterfeiter. He counterfeits everything that God does. That Satan is a counterfeit of God. Demons are a counterfeit of angels. The world is a counterfeit of a heavenly kingdom. Lies are the counterfeit of truth. Demon possession is a counterfeit of being spirit-filled. This is the power of a counterfeit. It deceives you into believing that what you have is real, true, and valuable, when in fact it is fake, false, and worthless. This is the work of Satan. And frankly, this is how he puts all of us in chains. He makes us enslaved to these lesser things. A mistake that we would make in this passage is that we might read this and say, oh man, this girl, just really unusual. This is clearly someone who needs help. What a poor girl to be enslaved by these masters. Friends, her situation is not all that different from our situation. For anybody without faith in Jesus, we are in the exact same position as this slave girl. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 44, that when you don't know Jesus, your father is the devil. The only difference between us and this slave girl is how this demonic bondage manifests itself. Now it might not come in the form of clairvoyance or fortune telling, but it can manifest in a whole bunch of different ways. It can come in the form of addictions, drugs, alcohol, sex trafficking, abusive relationships, our dark past. These are ways that Satan seeks to enslave us, torment us and put us in anguish. You know, at Park we teach this a lot about how our hearts are an idol factory. Now, what an idol is, is anything that takes the place in our hearts that only God should have. These are things that we love more than God, and we are enslaved by it. For example, to be a workaholic means that you are enslaved to the need of showing your productivity and worth. And because you're such a great workaholic, you will sacrifice your marriage. Your marriage. You will sacrifice your health. You will sacrifice your integrity. You will sacrifice your kids to get to the top or to stay on top. Does that sound like someone who is in control? No, that is a person who's being mastered. Our idol can be religion. That we're enslaved to keeping up this moral checklist so that we, uh, we stay on God's good side. And God forbid that we sin and instead of embracing the grace of Jesus, we live in constant fear of God's disapproval. You're enslaved. Our idol can be our kids, and we're enslaved to them because we put our identity in them. That when they succeed, I succeed. When they fail, I fail. Can I just say, your kids should not bear the weight of your soul. Your three-year-old can't do that, so stop putting it on them. Do you see? No one is ever really in control of their life. We are controlled by whatever we give ourselves to. And whatever these idols are, they will enslave us. We are not all that different from this slave girl. And this leads us to the next question. Who then has the power to break these chains. Verse 18, And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. Now it says here that Paul is greatly annoyed, and this sounds cruel to say this about this slave girl, but look closely at her verses. It doesn't say that he's annoyed at the slave girl. It says that he's annoyed at the demonic spirit. So he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and the evil spirit flees. Friends, this is the good news. Jesus crushes serpents. Jesus crushes serpents. He crushed the head of this python. And we know that this is but a shadow of Genesis chapter 3 when God promises to Adam and Eve, to humanity, that one day a child will come and his heel will be bruised because he has just crushed the head of the serpent, Satan himself. And we know that this promise is fulfilled on the cross. That yes, Jesus was beaten. He was tortured. Jesus was bruised. But Satan was destroyed. It's in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, that the power of Christ is displayed and this little girl is freed. This evil spirit was no match for the power of God. This demonic spirit didn't negotiate, didn't fight back. The evil spirit obeyed because Jesus is God. This demon-possessed girl she was powerful, don't be mistaken. her. She was very powerful, but God was more powerful. He breaks the chains of oppression. He breaks the chains of sin. In the same way, there is no bondage we face that the gospel isn't greater, isn't greater. The bondage of bitterness, anger, lust, addictions, Guilt, shame, it is all broken in the name of Jesus. It has no hold on you because your Savior is stronger than all. And when you trust in Him, the Holy Spirit, working through the promises of God, will give you the strength to overcome. Now, it might not happen overnight, it can. But the promises of God is that when the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. That is a promise when you are in Christ. For example, and this is something that I wrestle with, that the most important thing to you, your idol, is for you to be liked by people. When people like you, you like yourself. But when the most important thing for you is that God loves you, When people don't like you, you still like you because you know that you're accepted by God, right? Or if the most important thing for you is comfort and everything is just right, the degree is 72.4 degrees, ah, now you're happy. But if the most important thing for you is not comfort, but God's calling for your life, you can be in a horrible situation and turn that into a ministry. Do you see? It's the gospel that sets us free. It is the gospel that breaks the chains of spiritual oppression. But also notice in our verses that the gospel doesn't just free this girl spiritually. Notice as well, she is also freed socially She is free from the chains of social oppression. Now, I don't think Paul went into this with a plan to change unjust systems and practices. All Paul ever wants to do is preach the gospel. But here's the thing. When you preach the gospel, you will confront unjust systems because the kingdom of God is a countercultural kingdom. Verse 19 and 20. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. So Paul proclaims the name of Jesus. This slave girl is freed from demonic oppression, and she is also freed from her human oppressors. She loses her ability of fortune telling. She loses her ability to make them a profit. This little girl no longer fits into this exploitive economic system. So the slave masters lose their minds. They get furious at Paul and Silas. Why? Because Paul and Silas are doing social action. They are bringing justice and righteousness to a very broken system when you are committed to the gospel and making the ways of Jesus known, you will speak into the darkness. You will call out evil. You will confront exploitive systems. You will speak against racism and greed. And once again, for Paul and Silas, their confrontation of injustice didn't start with picket signs. It didn't start with mass protest. It started with evangelism. That as they shared the gospel and displayed the power of the gospel, lives were changed. A new kingdom ethic was introduced. Villages were changed, towns were changed, neighborhoods were changed, cities were changed, the world was changed. You know, back in my old church in Chinatown, you know, this was many, many years ago. You know, right down the block was from the local elementary school, Haynes Elementary School was a bookstore. And a bookstore decided to start selling adult magazines and videos. And in order to promote their stuff, they put in front of their window in a big neon sign, "XXX," And they had provocative posters all over their windows. Well, this was a problem because at 2.30, Monday through Friday, hundreds of elementary school kids would walk right by that store as they headed home. So as a church, we approach the business owners to let them know, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. We said this because of our commitment to the gospel. That first we believe that pornography is an exploitive business. We also believe that all are made in the image of God and we have a responsibility to care for the person that's on the TV screen as well as for the kids and to protect the kids from falling into a vicious cycle of lustful sins. So we approached them privately, and the business owners didn't care. So we wrote a formal letter, didn't care. We rallied the community leaders, didn't care. But now they're starting to feel the pressure a bit because they're starting to realize this church isn't backing down. We rallied the local aldermen, now they're starting to care more because of their business license. Then we rallied the police, and that's when they were done fighting. And the neon sign and posters came down. And guess what happened across the other businesses in Chinatown that were at that time also flaunting their adult material on their windows? They also began to pull it down. Why did this happen? It's because the good news of Jesus is not just personal. It is social. Another example of this is up in our Rogers Park neighborhood, that every Friday night our park sister churches go on the street corners and local park districts that have a history of being violent, and they just go out there and they pull out a guitar, they start singing songs, someone starts reading from the Bible, they have granola bars on the table, that's all they're doing here, and guess what happens when they're out there on Friday night, guess what happens there, nothing happens. And that is awesome because that means that there is no violence because the gospel is there. Nothing is happening because of their presence. And can I just say here at South Loop, you guys are the champions of the adoption fund. That you are setting an example for the entire church what it looks like to engage in the brokenness of neglected and orphaned kids. Do you see this? To be committed to the gospel, to be proclaiming the gospel, is not just to see the chains of sin broken. Yes, absolutely, period. That is so important. But as you go and you proclaim the gospel, as you evangelize, you're also going to see Jesus break the sins of exploitive systems. The gospel will always liberate across the board. Amen? Amen. 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 When the gospel is truly preached, it will bring spiritual conversions and it will impact a society for the glory of Jesus. And here's the final question. What are the chains we joyfully put on? What? Joyfully put on? It sounds backwards because we just spent the last 20 plus minutes talking about taking chains off and now we're talking about putting chains on and to put it on with joy? I say this. Because this is what we're going to see with Paul and Silas. Let's look at verse 19 to 24 again. But when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted them with many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So the slave owners dragged Paul and Silas into the marketplace, and the first thing notice that they say is look at these Jews. Now, the reason the owners do this is because they knew that the Jews were recently expelled from Philippi by the emperor because they were known for causing unrest in the city. So these owners wanted to play the race game, that they wanted to say and use that racial prejudice to say, look at Paul and Silas, look at these Jews. In addition, they say, look at them. They are disrespecting our Roman customs, our Roman way of life. Well, Paul and Silas were doing just that because the customs and business were sinful. There was no trial, no investigation. They proceeded to beat them and imprison them. You have to see this here. Notice the exchange that happens. Everything this slave girl was, Paul and Silas now suffer. This slave girl who was in bondage Mistreated and exploited now walks free Paul and Silas who once walked free are now in bondage in chains and shackles they've been shamed and beaten they've been put in the darkest place of the prison to save this slave girl to free this slave girl Paul and Silas chose to put on her chains in the same way in order for us to reach others, we must be willing to do the same. Now, it might not come in the form of being in prison. It could be, it could be, but this willingness to take on the chains, to reach others can come in a whole bunch of different ways. That one way could be your time, that you've worked hard all day. Do you really wanna spend an evening with a friend and to share the love of Jesus with them? Do you really want to take a Friday afternoon and go with Pastor Rafe and share the love of Jesus with others in downtown? Do you really want to be chained in such a way to do that? Or maybe it's your emotional bandwidth that hey, you've got enough things on your plate. Do you really want to put yourself in a position to carry the needs, the emotions, the anguish of others? Do I really want to be chained in such a way to someone else to help them? Maybe it's money. You've worked hard for your money. Man, but do you really want to give to missions, to ministries, to those who are most at need? Because to truly give in a sacrificial way, in a meaningful way, means that you'll have less money to buy the things that you want. Do you really want to be chained in such a way? Maybe it's your home. You love how your home is your me space, that you get to do whatever you want. But do you really want to open it up as a safe family or to foster a child? Do you really want to be chained in such a way for the gospel? It could be your reputation that you've worked so hard to give such a stellar image of yourself. But now do you really want to go out there across your cubicle, invite someone to your dinner table, And share the gospel with them just for them to think that you're a religious nut. Do you want to be chained in such a way? What cost are you willing to pay to reach others? If we want to see others experience freedom, we have to be willing to put on the chains. Because remember, the good news of Jesus not only breaks the chain of sin's power in our lives, the good news of Jesus also leads us to put on the chains of love and sacrifice for others because it's on the cross. Jesus did that for us. He took our place. It's on the cross he was exploited, he was shamed, he was nailed and bound to that cross and he did so so that we could be free. If our Savior did this for us, how could we not do the same for others? Now from those watching from the outside, Paul and Silas looked like losers, complete losers. They were defeated. This is not how you grow an organization. This is not how you grow an institution, especially having their backs beaten raw and their ankles chained up. Yet at midnight, in the dark of that prison cell, you could hear something. But it wasn't the sounds of anguish. It was the sound of singing. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. It says here that they were singing hymns. It doesn't say that they were reading psalms. I'm sure they memorized psalms, but it says here that they were singing hymns. They were singing songs that were most likely written by believers and these were songs that they knew by heart, which meant that they sang a lot Do you realize that the greatest spiritual men of all time were singers? Paul is showing us something very important for every Christ follower in this room to understand. Either your chains will break your praise or your praise will break your chains. You guys hear that? Let me just say that one more time because I feel like you're not getting that, okay? Either your chains will break your praise or your praise will break your chains. Paul knew. Yes, we can say amen. Thank you. Paul knew that even though they were in chains physically, their hope was not in chains. Yes, Jesus hung on the cross. Yes, he died. And yes, he was buried. But guess what happened three days later? He rose again. He broke the chains of sin, death, and Satan. He broke the power of sin in our lives. He tore the curtain right in half so that we're no longer separated from God. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility so that we can be one people, one family in Christ. So Paul and Silas, they know this, and they sing, and they sing loud in the prison because their hope and joy cannot be chained. Because Jesus is still Lord, and He's still reigns on high. Amen? The Roman guards, this this is hilarious. The Romans guard probably thought that, you know what? Yes, we have Paul under our chains when Paul really knew. No, 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 no. You're chained to me. You are chained to me right now. And we'll learn more about this next week. God will sometimes put us in chains so that others can be free. And these are chains we joyfully endure because these are chains of love. Love for God and love for others. And when you willfully and joyfully take on these chains, you are reaching others. That it's in your chains, others don't have to struggle. It's in your chains, others don't have to be spiritually lost anymore. It's in your chains, others can learn from your wisdom. It's in your chains, others can be lifted up. It's in your chains, others can have life and have it to the full. Church, let's put on the chains of sacrifice, the chains of discomfort, the chains of love, and let's do so with joy and praise, because our Savior gladly did it for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, when we walked into this room here today, we didn't hear this audibly, but it was happening spiritually. That God, that we're hearing chains moving around. Because God, for all of us here in some way or another, God, there's something that is just binding us, something that is enslaving us. That God, that we've given our hearts to lesser things. God, I pray right now that in the name of Jesus Christ, that God, that you would set us free. God, we don't say so flippantly, We don't say so because we have the strength. We don't say so because we have the merit. We don't say so because we're good enough. We say so because your son is strong, because your son is good, and your son promised to set us free. So God, we claim his promise, and Father, help us to live in victory. And God, I would ask that for us as a church, that we would go out, and we would go out with great boldness and courage. To God, that we don't live for this world, We don't live for the pleasures of this world. We don't live for the glories of this world. We live for the audience of one, and that is for you. So God, help us, Lord, to put on those chains so that we can reach others, so that we can save others. Father, help us each and every day to say that precious prayer, Lord, help me to save one more. It's in Christ's name we pray.